I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 6. This morning we'll be looking at John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. Pastor David read for us the context of uh, our passage this morning uh, during our scripture reading time. And uh, <clears throat> what we're going to focus on this morning during our sermon uh, is really the meat of what that, uh, what that conversation that Jesus has with the crowd, what it boils down to and what it comes down to. And so John chapter 6, uh, verses 35 through 40. Uh, before we read, let me pray for us and pray for our time in God's Word. Would you pray with me? God, our Heavenly Father, we come now into your presence. We come to hear you speak to us from heaven. Lord, we confess this morning that your word is life. God, your promise that your word doesn't return in vain is a promise that we cling to now. Lord, we confess that your word is powerful. Lord, it's powerful enough to bring all of creation into existence out of nothing. And Father, we pray that your word would bring life to us now. So our hearts are ready. Lord, our ears are open, our minds are focused, and I pray that you would help us to learn from you, to love your words. So, Father, I pray that you would give us your spirit now, and we pray that he would work in us all that you would require for us from your word for our good and for the glory of Jesus. We pray these things in his name, amen. Amen. Well, church family, <clears throat> I love bread. I love bread. Uh, bread is uh, one of my favorite foods. My whole family loves bread. Uh, my wife, Laura, is actually a really wonderful cook, and she's a really wonderful baker. And as a matter of fact, she makes all of our bread. So I haven't had to buy bread from the grocery store, and I don't know how long, so no kidding. Uh, I, I hardly ever have to buy bread at all. She makes it all. Part of the reason she makes it all is because we eat so much of it, and our children eat so much of it. And there is nothing as good as homemade, from scratch, hot out of the oven bread. Maybe some of you and some of your families are like us. When, when we go out to a restaurant, oftentimes if we have a choice between two or three different restaurants, we're going to choose which place we go to based on how good their bread is. Right? I know some of you guys probably do the same. Well, we've got this restaurant over here who has really good tacos. You've got this restaurant over here who has really good hamburgers. But this restaurant brings you those hot rolls in a basket before you even have to order. Right? They're waiting on the table for you. That's where we're going to go. So if it comes down to choosing between places, we're going to choose the place literally of what kind of bread they bring us. Some of you guys do the exact same thing. It's not just our culture here in America that loves bread. Bread is actually a staple food in many cultures, actually in most cultures throughout history. And those of you guys who have been to Poland with us on mission trips before, you know this, you've seen this, that, that bread is a staple food uh, in their diet. Across history, cultures, uh, bread has always been a staple food. The interesting thing about bread is not just that most every culture has some form of bread that they eat, but everybody in that culture eats it. 
kings and princes eat bread. Poor people, paupers, they eat bread. Everyone eats bread. It satisfies us. It it gives our bodies strength. Well, in our text this morning, we're dropping right into the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having with a crowd of people. Pastor David read for us uh, the context here of the conversation, or at least some of the context of the conversation. But here's what's going on more broadly. Uh, Jesus, at the beginning of John chapter 6, famously fed a crowd with 5,000 men. Now, the 5,000 number was just the men in the crowd that didn't account for women and children. So a massive crowd of people that Jesus fed. And do you remember what he fed them with? Five loaves of barley bread and two small fish. Right? This was indeed a great miracle. Right? Jesus, uh, he, he took these uh, five barley loaves and these two small fish. He blessed them. He began to break them. The disciples began to hand out these baskets. And there was more than enough left over after the entire crowd was filled and satisfied. Well, after this great miracle, Jesus slipped away from the crowd and he went up on a mountaintop, a mountaintop to be by himself to pray. And his disciples uh, dispersed the crowd and then they got into a boat and they started across the sea. And while they were on the sea, they got trapped in a great storm. And then Jesus walks out on the stormy waters and he calms the sea. The next morning, that very next morning, the crowd wakes back up and they begin to look around. And that's where Pastor David picked up in our reading today. They begin to look around and they notice that the boat's gone and that Jesus hasn't departed with his disciples on the boat. And so the crowds, they all rush to their boats and they go across the sea and they begin to look for Jesus and they search for him until they found him. And when they found Jesus, they began this conversation with him. And here's the main point. Here's the main point that sets really the context of our passage. Jesus says to them in verse 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, You are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You see, the crowd was choosing to follow Jesus. They chose to chase after Jesus, not because they had faith, because of the great miracle that Jesus had worked, but because he satisfied their appetite. And now they're hungry again, And they want some more of that bread. That sets the context for this entire conversation that Jesus has with his people. Jesus goes on to tell them in verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. This is really similar to the interaction that Jesus has with the woman at the well that we looked at last week in John chapter 4. The crowds say, Where can I get such satisfying bread? Where is this bread that I can eat and I'll never get hungry again? Give us such bread. And that brings us to our passage this morning. So let's now read Jesus' response to this question uh, from verses 35 through 40. If you are able, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as I read for us God's holy, inspired, and His inerrant word. 
John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You may be seated. So the crowds are saying, give us this bread. Give us this bread. And Jesus' answer to their question, to satisfy their physical appetites, is a question that exposes right, their heart in approaching him. But more than that, shows them their greatest need of all and how only Jesus can meet that So if you're following along with your sermon outline there in your bulletin, you'll see there point number one in our sermon. Point number one, Jesus is our all-sufficient Savior. So this crowd has already witnessed Jesus at work. Think about it. Put yourself there. Literally, this crowd has already ingested a miraculous thing that Jesus has done. They've seen it with their eyes and they've tasted it with their mouths. Their bellies were filled because of the miraculous work of Jesus. And they come to him for more. But Jesus rebukes them. He rebukes them here. You see this in verse 36. They have seen Jesus' saving power at work. But it's not their faith that's aroused. It's only their appetites. It's their curiosity that's aroused. They came and they sought Jesus out not to be their all-sufficient Savior, but to be a chef who just serves up some tasty bread. Jesus rebukes them because they follow him to satisfy their appetites, not following him in faith. They're hungry. right? They're hungry again. And when they find him, they want him to give them more bread. But you see, their greatest need is not to have their bellies filled. They're confused about what their greatest need is. Jesus' response here reveals to them that having a satisfied appetite is not their greatest need. Right? Jesus is showing them that he alone can meet their greatest need. Now notice what Jesus says about how he meets that greatest need. Look down at verse 35. Verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. I am. What Jesus says here ought to create a buzz in our ears. 
This verse here points us back, right? It points us back to Moses. When Moses is encountering God and speaking with the Lord at the burning bush. And and God tells Moses, I want you, Moses, to go to Pharaoh in Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go from their slavery in Egypt. God is, is sending Moses to be their redeemer, to save them out of their slavery. And Moses says to God there at the burning bush, well, when I go, who should I tell them sent me? What's your name? What is your name? And do you remember what the Father says to Moses through that burning bush? I am that I am. Tell them I am sent you. Well, here Jesus utters those exact same words. Where can I have my greatest need met? Where can I find salvation for my soul? And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This is the first time of seven different times in the Gospel of John that Jesus calls himself the great I am. It is very clear, very clear what Jesus is saying here that he is the all-sufficient Savior. He is the one who redeems his people. We know that the people were not confused by what Jesus was saying here because just after our sermon passage this morning in verse 41, the people respond, the Pharisees respond, and they're mad. They're angry with Jesus. You know why they're angry with him? Because they understood exactly what it was that he just claimed to be. Jesus is our all-sufficient Savior. You see, these people think that their greatest need is to be physically filled again, to have another bite of bread. But in fact, their greatest need is to be spiritually filled by God. Jesus says that only He is that satisfaction. He says, whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst again. Well, friends, every single one of us come here today with needs. We're needy people. All of us. We're needy people. All of us have physical needs. We have emotional needs. Right? We may have financial needs. All of us here have spiritual needs. And this text this morning helps us to focus in like a laser beam out of all of those needs that we perceive that we have. What is our greatest need? And friend, your greatest need this morning and my greatest need this morning is to have our sins forgiven and to be reconciled and to be at peace with God. Now, how many of you guys have ever stopped and and looked at the sign here in Bloomfield, the Before I Die sign, that chalkboard that's on the side of this building over here? Sometimes I stop down there on my way to the bank or on my way to... (coughs) Uh, the hardware store or something like that, I'll just stop by uh, and see. Sometimes I just do it for a break to get out and to walk if it's nice weather. Uh, Stop by that sign just to see what people 
right on that sign. It's interesting to me that complete and total strangers will come and they will bear, some of them, their, their deepest heart on a chalkboard for all to read. But it, it's interesting what people write on that side. But almost all the time, almost every time that I have gone down there to read that board, you know what's there? Inevitably, what's written on that board is something like this. Before I die, I want to be forgiven. Or before I die, I want to be at peace. Or before I die, I want to be saved. I was down there just the other day and it said, I want to be re-saved. Well, maybe you're here this morning and if you're honest to yourself, you, you would probably write something similar on that board. Maybe not for the world to see. But perhaps you know in your heart that your greatest need in this life is to be saved from your sin. To be at peace with God. But you don't quite know how to go about having that need met. You know you can't do it on your own. You've probably tried before. Well, if that's you this morning, friend, I have good news. Jesus is your all-sufficient Savior. He is your all-sufficient Savior. You don't have to work to earn this salvation. You don't have to clean yourself up first to come to God to get this salvation. You just have to come in simple faith and trust in Him. He is your all-sufficient Savior sent from God the Father. Bread might be able to satisfy your stomach for a little while. But only Jesus can satisfy your heart forever. That brings us to point two. Point number two. That Jesus secures our salvation. Jesus secures our salvation. Look at verse 37. Verse 37 is one of my favorite verses in the entire book of John. Look at verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. What a verse. You see in this verse, there's a statement of truth. Jesus starts with a statement of truth, and then he gives us a promise based off that truth. Okay, so let, let's look at this verse. Let's, let's dive into it a little bit deeper. Let's start with the truth. Let's start with the statement of truth. He says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. Now, I want you to notice here three things. Three things about this statement. The first thing I want you to notice is that word all. That word all is significant. Not most people, not some of the people that the Father gives to me will come to me. No, Jesus says all that the Father gives to me will come to me. Brothers and sisters, this little word all is the grounds for all of our assurance of faith. So much of the Christian life is built upon that one three-letter word in verse 37. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. Once the Father sets His love on us as sinners, we can be sure that our rescue is certain. Secondly, notice there who it is that's doing the work of our salvation. 
I want you to notice in this verse, who is it that's doing the work of our salvation? This is a question that the people had for Jesus. What works of God must we perform in order to gain this bread? Remember Jesus' answer. The work of God is to believe. Right? Who is it that does the work of our salvation? Well, it's God the Father. It's God the Father. Our salvation is not dependent upon us trying hard enough just to clean ourselves up a little bit to get ourselves to a place where we're worthy of receiving God's forgiveness. So often that's the way we treat God the Father. I don't know about you, but I've struggled with this. Right? Sometimes we can see God the Father as this angry judge up in heaven that's just waiting to zap us because of our sin. But that's not the heart of the Father at all. Right? And we think, if we, if we think that way about God, we think that, well, I'm, I am a dirty, rotten, horrible sinner, and I, I don't want to approach God like this, and so i got to get myself to the point to where maybe I'm acceptable enough that He won't zap me when I come to Him to ask Him for salvation. That's not the heart of the Father that Jesus shows us at all. Our salvation is not dependent upon us trying hard enough to clean ourselves up Our salvation is accomplished by the loving and gracious initiative of God the Father. We don't come to Him. He comes to us and draws us to Him. And this passage says that if the Father calls a sinner to Christ, He will come. God never runs out of saving power. God never loses interest in saving a people for His Son. And that's good news for us, brothers and sisters, because it doesn't mean our salvation is dependent upon us from first to last. It is a work of God the Father. It's a work of God the Father. You notice there the security, the number three. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. That when the Father draws a person to himself, that person will come. That person will come. And they will come bringing all of their mess. And they will come bringing all of their needs. And they will come bringing all of their sin and all of their guilt and all of their shame. And you notice there the promise that Jesus gives when we come. Let's look at the promise. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. When we come to Christ, dirty, guilty, feeling unworthy of His love and salvation, we can make all the excuses in the world and accusations of ourselves to the world about why we don't deserve this Gospel. And Jesus says to us, All that the Father gives me, I will never cast out. What a promise. You know, when you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that your problems just disappear and go away. I think a lot of the reason why a lot of people don't persevere in the Christian life is because they expect when they come to God for salvation that 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 satisfaction is going to be met. You can even look at this passaging and try to make that argument. Jesus says here, when I come, I'm never going to hunger. I'm never going to thirst. 
He's going to meet my needs. Right? But that's not what Jesus is promising here. What Jesus is promising here is for your greatest need, for your salvation. Not to fill your bellies, but to fill your soul, to save your soul. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle. Being a Christian doesn't mean that your faith will never waver. But what it does mean to be a Christian is that we are secure. We are secure once for all in Jesus. And you might think of a million reasons why Jesus should cast you out. You might have a list of failures a mile long, but Jesus says to you, I will not cast you out. Pastor Richard used a really powerful illustration of this in his sermon series when we were walking through Hebrews. You know, as a parent or as a grandparent or anyone caring for uh, someone in, under your care and you're in a parking lot or if you're uh, next to a road or if you're in a big crowd, you're going to hold the hand of your child to make sure that they don't run off and get lost. And, and what holds that child secure is not the child's grip on the parent because that grip will fail. What holds that child secure is the parent's grip on the child. Jesus here is showing you through this promise that he will never lose his hold on you. So Christian, you are secure. Jesus secures that salvation. Listen to what Pastor Dane Ortland says about this passage in his book, Gentle and Lowly. By the way, this book, Gentle and Lowly, I highly recommend it to everyone. But he says about <coughs> this passage in that book, he says, for those united to him, the heart of Jesus is not a rental property. It's your new permanent residence. You are not a tenant. You are his child. His heart is not a ticking time bomb. His heart is green pastures and still waters of endless reassurance of his presence and comfort. It is who he is. So Jesus secures your salvation. And that brings us to our final point this morning, number three. God's will, God's will is to give eternal life to those who look to Jesus in faith. You know, <clears throat> it's been a big privilege to be able to work with students uh, in our church uh, for so many years. And one of the big questions, inevitably, that I talk to almost every single student about, especially as they kind of get towards that uh, age where they're starting to look towards college and what they want to do for a career. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure on teenagers at, you know, the 11th, 12th grade uh, level because they feel like their entire future hangs in the balance of these couple of decisions that they're going to make. And I try to get them to see, praise the Lord, that's not the case at all, uh, right? They, they've got plenty of life ahead of them, uh, but that it is an important time in their life. And one of the questions that inevitably gets asked all the time during that uh, that kind of stage in life is what is the Lord's will for me, right? As I consider my future, as I consider where I want to go to college, as I consider who I want to date and eventually who I want to marry, what's the Lord's will? I know that's not a strange question for all of us here. All of us have probably asked that question at one point in time and another and we'll search the scriptures and we'll wonder what is God's will for us? Well, Jesus here tells us exactly what God the Father's will for you is. Jesus says that it's God's will to give eternal life to those who look 
to Jesus in faith. Perhaps the most astonishing thing here that Jesus says is that it's the will of God to give eternal life. Eternal life. Right? Any person who trusts in Jesus will never be abandoned to the grave. Even death itself cannot separate you from God's love for you. God the Father will not allow it. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, even death will not rob you of God's promise. This promise that Jesus makes in verse 37, that I'll never cast you out, even death won't cause Jesus to break that promise. Because look at what Jesus says next. He says, I will raise them up on the last day. Do you realize what it would take for Jesus to break this promise? Think about that. What would it take for Jesus to break this promise to those of us who look to Christ? In order for you to be abandoned to the grave, here's what's, what would have to happen. Jesus would have to be ripped out of heaven, off of his throne. He would have to be brought back to earth, put back on the cross, killed again, and put back in the grave with a tomb permanently sealed. And some of you guys are looking at me. I can see it even through your masks this morning. I can see what you're thinking. You're thinking, that is ridiculous. That is impossible. That would never happen. And that's the point. That's the point. You are exactly right. It is impossible. It's impossible for you as a follower of Jesus to be lost again. It's impossible. Jesus would have to be put back in the tomb in order for him to break this promise to you this morning. That is how secure your hope is in Christ. But there's a command here. It's within the text. It's maybe not as clear and as explicit as you might see at first if you read through it too quickly. But look down. Verse 39 says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but I raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, here it is, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. You see, friends, in order to gain this promise, in order to gain this hope, in order for this to be truth, to satisfy your soul, all you have to do is look to Christ and believe. You see, friends, all of us are sinners. Every single one of us. And Jesus came and He lived a perfect life that none of us could ever live. And He died on that cross taking your punishment for your sin that you deserve. And they placed him in that tomb. And three days later, Jesus got up out of the grave, defeating your sin, defeating your death, defeating your shame, all of the things that go along with our sin. Jesus took it, nailed it to the cross, and rose again from the grave, 
victorious. And what you have to do, all you have to do to receive this promise of eternal life is to look to Christ and to believe in Him. Where are you looking for your salvation this morning? If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ, look to Christ, believe in Him, and be saved. But what about you this morning? Are you looking to Jesus for salvation? Or are you coming to Jesus this morning? Are you coming to this church this morning like that crowd was coming to Jesus? It's just a routine. It's something that I do. It's something that I've always done. Maybe you come to Jesus today because you have a need. Maybe you have a physical need that you need healing from. Maybe you have a financial need where you need relief. Maybe you have some type of emotional need where you feel the need to be encouraged or built up. We all bring our needs to church this morning, but your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven. And if you're here this morning and you are at the end of your rope, that is exactly where God the Father meets his people, when they come to the end of themselves. And here's what Jesus has to say to you today. Look and believe. Look and believe. He will satisfy your heart. Trust in him. Give your life to him and be satisfied. Maybe not healed physically. Maybe not entertained. Maybe not, uh, you know, financially prosperous. Maybe not encouraged, but satisfied and secure. Satisfied in your heart. And for those of you this morning who are trusting in Jesus, all of us struggle with assurance. It is not an uncommon thing. It is not a sign that you have lost your salvation if you are struggling with assurance, if you're trusting in Jesus. All of us, at times, struggle with assurance. And perhaps the enemy uh, is throwing your failures in your face this week. Perhaps you feel this week more discouraged in your faith than you've ever felt before. Maybe you feel this morning that you are just not worthy of Him. Listen to Jesus who says, I will not cast you out. Your life is eternal and it is eternally secure in me. Well, this story this morning, it presents us with a challenge. And the challenge is this. We have to accept Jesus on his terms and not our own. We have to come to Jesus on his terms, not our own. We shouldn't come to Jesus out of selfish motives. Right? Sinful people, we can be so selfish and we can be so preoccupied with our own material needs and our own desires. But God the Father is in the work of redeeming a people for His Son. And what God the Father does in the hearts of sinners is He changes their heart and He gives them new desires. So let me ask you, what do you desire? What would you write on that chalkboard down on the corner before you die. Come to Christ. Find your satisfaction in Him. He is your all-sufficient Savior. Let's pray.
God, you are a God of mercy and kindness and love. You have chosen us. You have called us. You have justified us. You have set us apart for your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you this morning that you lived for us, that you died on the cross for our sins, that you rose again from the dead for us, and that you give us blessings for this life and most of all for the life that is to come. So now, Holy Spirit, as you have fed us with the bread of life, I pray that your word would give us strength to obey all that you have taught us to stand firm in the midst of trials and temptations and struggles. Help us to walk in faith. Help us to love you. Because God, you have done everything for us. We pray all these things, dear Father, in the power of the Spirit and for the glory of the Son. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me now. I want to offer a time of response. Uh, Maybe you're here this morning and Uh, Perhaps uh, this is (laughs) the first time God has convicted you of your sin and and you want to know more about what it means to be a Christian and to be secure in Christ. I'll be standing right down front. I want to invite you in this time to come. I would love to pray with you and talk with you more about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you've just struggled with assurance and you're struggling with temptation and sin. I want to invite you just to take a moment to pray where you are, to ask, uh, ask God to give you strength of faith and comfort to help you to look to Christ and not to yourself for assurance. But as we all respond by singing together, oh, the deep, deep love, I want to call you and ask you to respond however it is the Spirit is calling you to respond today. Let's sing.